Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And now, your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome again to another episode here at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 63. What a great weekend of golf we had at the Honda Classic here in South Florida. We had Ricky, we had Kepka, all the way up to the very end, but the winner was Keith Mitchell. He picked up his first PGA Tour victory, so congrats to him. The Florida swing is in full effect. We have the players coming up pretty soon, so that should be great for everyone. And yes, the Masters is next month. Let me say that again. The Masters is next month. Before we get to this week's guest, just a friendly reminder, leaving a review in Apple Podcasts is always appreciated. That normally results in some free swag being sent your way. Don't forget also, follow us on Instagram at the Back of the Range Podcast. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Everything you ever wanted to know for this podcast can be found at our website, thebackoftherange.com. Speaking of the Masters, I am very excited about this week's guest. She will be part of the CBS broadcast team, and most likely, as we speak, she's reviewing all of her notepads and sticky notes, getting ready, and doing her final preparation for the first major of the year. For those of you that only know Dottie Pepper for her TV work, you might want to do a little bit of research. She had an incredible playing career that was unfortunately cut a bit short due to injury. Nevertheless, before she made the transition to TV, she won the 1992 and 1999 ANA Inspiration, which used to be called the Dinosaur. That's the major where the winner jumps into the pond next to the 18th green. We discussed both of those two wins, and, well, we got some interesting information that I sure as hell wasn't expecting. Dottie played in the first six Solheim Cups and was an intense competitor that left a mark of dominance on the Solheim. How dominant? 13, 5, and 2. That's her record in her 20 matches. Here's another stat from her career. 3. That's how many cuts she missed. Not in a single year. In her career. Ever. So, clearly a very dominant player. We talked about her TV career, how much prep actually goes into her doing her job at CBS. Remember, she is surrounded by the best players in the world, and she's been in their shoes. And if you think she isn't competitive anymore just because she doesn't have a club in her hand, well, take a listen to this episode and you'll get an idea just how Dottie Pepper is wired. So let's jump into this episode right away. Dottie, welcome to the back of the range. And also congrats on being a member of the most recent class of the New York State Golf Hall of Fame. That's pretty damn cool. They needed somebody alive that could give a speech, that's all. You know... I knew you were going to go that direction, but that's all. Come on. No, it's true. I, I, I know who is in that class, but you're, you're in this class with Sarazen, Hagen, and Ternessa. I right. Mean, I can't hold a candle, but I can still speak. So you're just the honorary speech. Uh, the, the speaker. Yeah, I guess so. But seriously, let's, let's kind of, I mean, come on. We can't be that self-deprecating. I mean, you're in a Hall of Fame. New yes, York we State. can. All right. All right, we're getting off to, this is the weirdest start to any episode so far. I can't get the guests to stop laughing at themselves and not me. So, But uh, seriously, true. but you, I, but you get into the Hall of Fame in New York State. You, you won the state am yeah. there in 81. You have multiple junior amateur titles. And mm-hmm. um, and then you're, you know, you're three-time All-American at Furman. Your amateur career is, is just incredibly solid and your, your collegiate career is solid. You get the call, you're going to be in this Hall of Fame. Did it take you back to that time? What were you thinking when you get the call? Oh, it's it certainly did, but... but- and a lot of people have said, so why why did it take so long? And the the very interesting thing about it is that this was only the fourth class. This is a whole new thing for the state golf association. And you think about all the great players that have that have come out of the state or had significant impacts in sure. it. Uh, it's only the fourth class. And I was um, asked to introduce a member of the first class and her name was Betty Dealey and Betty grew, was a lifetimer in central New York, but really uh, women's golf and junior golf in the state wouldn't be what it is today without her. So she went in, like I said, four years ago, I was at the, the PGA's national meeting as a, as a board member and, and right. couldn't, 
couldn't in- introduce her. It was at Oak Hill, um, but I was able to do it by video. And, you know, to then three classes later, um, you know, land, land alongside her was pretty darn cool, let alone the other people that went in my <laughs> class. That's a it pretty, was that's, just remarkable. Yeah. Well, it'll, uh, it'll always be tied to you. You're in the same class as, uh, as these yeah. great players, you know, Hagen. And oh. that's, that's, that's just tremendous. When I spoke to Bob Toski last season, he was, he was telling uh, Hagen stories and uh, I never get tired of Hagen stories, but um, so your, your playing career for those of you listening that think that just Dottie just walks around golf courses, talking to Tiger Woods with a microphone every single Sunday, <laughs> she actually played a little bit of golf back in the day. And uh, yeah, 17 wins and two major titles. Um, the one thing I, <laughs> I always look back on is, you know, the, the, ANA, which used to be the the Dinah Shore, uh, gosh, it's now thirty years that uh, Amy Alcott just completely changed women's golf by introducing a, mm. a swan dive into that pond. Um, you won that tournament in ninety two and ninety nine, but I just remember seeing old videos of of women winning this tournament and then they're rewarded by jumping into just a muddy pond right next to the 18th hole it does not always look like the spa treatment that it is now with bathrobes waiting for you when you get out um did that ever cross your mind like who in the hell started this why do i have to jump in the pond is it did that ever cross your mind or were you just so happy to win at that point who really cares well it it started when i was on tour just about the i think it might have been my rookie year that it started and the whole thing was, you know, dinosaur was always impeccably dressed in her hair and makeup and right, all. Right, right. And Amy Elcott's going to drag dinosaur into that lake. Um, so she went, she went very gently, <laughs> and that's and eventually the robe uh, evolved into being part of the whole whole thing. Um, but my first one, I didn't go in the lake because I didn't win on eighteen. I won on 10. So you got robbed of that. No, I was saved from that. Okay. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> yes. Because the second time I went in, um, you know what those coots do in the, in that lake? It's, it's filthy. Those little black, those little black ducks that are everywhere and just are just these masses of mess. Well, they don't just do that on fairways. They do that in the lake. You and I say, ended up by the with way, Dottie, world. You, you can Go say ahead. you can say duck shit on this podcast. It's been said it was, before. You can. It was fine. it was all duck shit. <laughs> <laughs> and is... I got I got a bacterial infection that knocked me out of play. If you look back at my career, I didn't. I don't think I started for the next five weeks. You got to be kidding me! No, oh no, I had I had bacteria growing in my ears, in my sinuses, everywhere. It was so gross. It was really gross. And if it wasn't if it wasn't for Brandy Burton's aunt, Jan, who managed to A get me to the hospital, B on an airplane home, uh, I might still be sitting outside Sacramento. I don't oh know. God. It was bad. And oh, so yeah. after that they cleaned up the pond. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, So my my lasting gift to the ANA Dino, whatever we want to call it or wherever right. it goes, is Poppy's pond. So it is now clean and you can see the bottom. Right, right. Because now yes. when I see the see these women jump in there, it looks it looks it looks oh. like a like a pool. It's a swimming pool now. It's not a pond. It's they, a swimming pool. Yeah, it's yes. a swimming pool. Yes. yes. Wow. Well, we uncover all sorts of stuff around here at the yes, back of the range. Do. Uh wow. <laughs> Didn't see it. Didn't do. Didn't see that coming. Um, so let's jump forward to a different part of your career that has less and less uh, 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 health risk to it. Um, I am a a big uh, big fan of team competitions, whether it's Ryder, Presidents, mm. Curtis Cup. I cannot get enough of the stories and the history behind it. So Solheim Cup. Are you aware? Let's quiz the the CBS analyst. Are you aware that you have a higher winning percentage in the Solheim Cup? than Jack Nicholas does in the Ryder Cup. I was not aware of that, but I'm I'm very proud of that. Yeah. Well and you I, also- I thought you were I thought you were just gonna ask me about going to the Walker Cup this fall and we've we've 
We've gone all the way back into my my storied we're career. We're not done. We're not talking about your day job right now. We're still talking oh, about your playing no, career. No, I'm going yeah. as a fan. I'm going as a fan to the oh, Walker Cup. I'm actually, yes. well, I, I might be seeing you there, so you never know. All right. I, I, yes, I am to, going as a fan. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I um, Well, you, you have this amazing record. You're 13-5-2. You're you have more wins than Tiger does in the Ryder Cup. So these are other things. Just trying to butter up the guest here. That's part of my tactic. But Can I, can I say it? And and Tiger, you know, we have a very good relationship. Yes, but it wouldn't take much to have more wins in Ryder Cup competition than he's had. Let's not now, Donnie. Let's not confuse my listeners with any facts. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's worked okay. for me. It's worked for me so far. Not to get him too confused, but it's not exactly the highlight of his career. If you were even to ask I, him, I know, I know, I know. Well, you know, he's trying to get on this podcast, but I I told him we're kind of backed up, but we're going to get to him oh, eventually. Right. Yeah, okay, good. Um, <laughs> But but no, but with Solheim Cup, so you, you had your first win on the LPG tour in '89, and you know for people that aren't aware, it's not like the Solheim Cup has this long history that the Ryder Cup does or Walker Cup. It was pretty much, you know, the first year was '90. You played in the first six. When did it kind of hit your radar as a player? Like, hey, this this team competition thing's coming. It may be a thing. When did it first hit your radar? It was a player meeting in. Uh, early June that year okay, at the McDonald's championship. That wasn't even a major at the time. Right. Uh, ballroom of the DuPont country club. And it was a mandatory player meeting. And it was announced that with um, the support cooperation of the Carson manufacturing corporation ping. Right. We were going to in November of that year, played the inaugural Solheim cup at Lake Nona, right around Thanksgiving. Right. And oh, by the way, points have already started accumulating. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So now it was retroactive to the beginning of that year. And so everybody, of course, is scrambling to figure out where they where right. they stack up. And by by the time we rolled around to the Centel Classic in Tallahassee in the fall, I want to say it was early October, I was on the bubble. And it was myself and Danielle Makapani came down to the last hole of the last tournament of qualifier. Wow. And I stymied it right behind a 150-yard bush left at Killarn Country Club. No, not that there's any scar tissue not here. Not that you remember any of this stuff. No, I'm, no, I'm, not at all. I'm glad I'm not the um, only one with notes out in front of me right now. So Right. Um, and it was the, actually the first time the, the women pay, played for a million-dollar purse as well. Right. Jack Frazee was um, the CEO of Centel, and they also sponsored the Western Open. And if you said, if, if we're going to sponsor a women's event, then they're going to play for the same purse as the guys. So that was a new standard that was already being set that week. But the, to finish that, uh, I got it up and in from a buck fifty, um, made about a six, seven footer at the 72nd hole of that tournament to lock up the last spot because there were eight players on each side and seven automatics and one pick. And everybody knew that was going to be Nancy Lopez. That was, you know, that's, you know, just an assumed thing and, and correct. So, um, I was the last one in and after getting our butts beat so badly in 86 at the Curtis cup at Prairie Dunes, I was hell bent on getting on that team and winning and playing for Kathy Whitworth. And it was just uh, the stories from that week, um, are as vivid to me as if I had played last week. Did everyone on the team kind of have the presence of mind to realize that, okay, we made the team, mm. but it's not just about this year's team. It's about laying a foundation for the future. Did Were you present about that or was it just, hey, I'm on the team. Isn't this cool? Let's go play hard and win. No, I think for those of us who had had Curtis Cup experience, and there were a lot of us, I mean, um, Betsy King was on that team. As I said, Lopez was on that team. Beth Daniel, Hattie she I mean, we all had had past team experience, let alone playing collegiately, but playing for the United States. And I think there was uh, after things really got going, and when you, know, you go to the opening ceremony and, and the flags are raised, right. and it did kind of hit, and and um, I don't think we could have had a better captain because she she sort of put it all in perspective, especially having a team that was was highly favored, and the, some of the things that she told us that week, and some of the things that we experienced, um, 
like I said, those those memories are so fresh. That's great. You, um, you know, I've done a little bit of research and, and you kind of, I think you've mentioned in other interviews where you really don't care about the money you're playing for, you know, um, uh, you know, scoring average and birdies and wins mm-hmm. and things like that. And now this is not at the time where the money is just completely exorbitant. I mean, I think winner's checks back in the nineties from the LPGA are in the, they're probably as low as $40,000 as compared to maybe one seventy one eighty. Do you, um, where did that kind of come from at that time? How did your mindset just completely focus on, I just want to beat everyone and the money isn't really my, my, my drive. Well, I, I think it, this goes back to my college days because I had won as an amateur on the, on the future, what was then the futures tour. Right. And everyone saying after my freshman year in college, well, you're going to turn pro, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to turn pro. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Um, and I had a wonderful summer, low amateur at the open and, uh, really, really played good golf. And the fact that I w- had the opportunity to get a four-year degree at Furman on a piece of paper that was actually worth something, right. uh, was worse, was way worth more than what I even made my rookie year and second year and third and fourth years combined. Uh, you can't put a price tag. I don't think so. That was, that was my, my sole focus was. I had to get a degree and B, if you play good golf, the rest of it. And, and I had, like I said, a useful degree. I did all my own. I did almost all of my own deals. I did my own books. I paid my own bills. I did. I booked my own flights. I did all of that myself. Um, so I knew what I was spending and I was being smart about it. And I figured if I just stay healthy and play good golf, the rest of it's going to take care of itself. And in fact it did. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you, you take care of the foundation and the rest of it starts to flow. That being said, um, 1992, and my first paid, well, let's, let's see, let's do the math. Uh, 15% of 300,000, which was the purse of the Oldsmobile Classic first tournament I won, was a $45,000 first place, place check. Yep. Flash ahead to 1992, and I had won a, the tournament in Atlanta, got it up and in from over the green and two on the par five and made birdie. And it was a $75,000 winner's check. And I used to get my paychecks from the tour in my locker the next week. And in Nashville, I got all of my mail from the tour, fan mail, paychecks, tax stuff, whatever it is. And I threw it away in the garbage. Um, what, what now? What'd you just do? I threw a $75,000 check in the garbage and realized what I had done. Uh-huh. Sitting at a stoplight about halfway back to the hotel, pulled a Yui, <laughs> went back, and the volunteer and I, she's like, I'll help you find it. I, I was the one that took the garbage out. Oh, no. And we went through the garbage bin and we found it. <laughs> this, is, this is so great. Um, yeah, because this is not the days of yep. direct deposit and, uh, no. and, and agents and business managers. So you're. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. So. Well, maybe, maybe so we found it. You found it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Perfect. We found it. Wow. Yep. I, I have no, uh, I have no logical segue into my next question. So uh, it, 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 it puts dumpster diving in a whole new, man, which is, in a whole new picture, doesn't it? I don't know if we're going to label this episode duck shit and dumpster diving, but we're all come up with something a little bit better. Um, wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, you mentioned injuries, you mentioned staying healthy. So I, I want to ask you, mm. you retired around 2004 due to, due to injuries. What yep. were the last couple of years like? Because I think a lot of people, Ugh. whether it's, I know, whether it's a lot of people thinking about, okay, Tigers had this injury and this player's working their way back on a medical exemption. Right. Um, can you share maybe just personally the last few years of your career, like what, what did you have to do physically to put yourself in a position just to compete in a tournament? Well, I, I think, I mean, putting the specifics sort of aside. Right. right. Um, I mean, just like. But I, I think just from a time perspective, um, I knew it was time to, to use my degree and, and do something else when I was spending more time rehabbing than I was getting better. Right. Just improving and being able to work on my golf game. Uh, when I was spending more time just to get on my feet to do that and then hope to make progress, it it was time. When did you know that TV was going to be an option for you? I don't think you ever know that it's going to be because it's pretty competitive and there's right. just not that many jobs out there. Of course. 
but I did my first first show in 1999 uh, at the urging of Judy Rankin to ESPN. They were they had the USGA package uh, for cable, and and included in that package was the U.S. Women's Amateur at Asheville, and it was about I don't know a little over an hour from where I lived in the upstate of South Carolina. And she said, "I think you ought to think about doing that." It was an off week on the, the tour schedule and she was going to stay at my house anyway. And she said, if you don't mind, I think I'm going to, I'm going to ring them up and, and encourage them to take a look at you for the week. And I said, yeah, why not? I mean, I would, I would probably have gone up there to watch anyway. Right. And she said, I think they're going to do it. So I, I picked her brain all week long <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and, you know, we had that drive up to the golf course every day and drive home. And, and it was just, it was something I really, really enjoyed. And, and I'd also said at some point, I mean, that use that plan B, um, she was, we laughingly said to each other, she said, I know you're coming after my job. And I said, yes, I want your job. Oh, great. <laughs> so it's really cool to have somebody that, that means so much to you anyway. I mean, I, I played twice for her uh, on, on Solheim cup teams that was so encouraging and, and she'd been, and it still is so good at what she does that it, that it paved the way much smoother for me. Of course. Now you, you have this very, uh, you know, competitive streak when you're playing, how do you channel that into being competitive or are you competitive when you're doing your job as an on-course reporter or yeah. How does that fly in? I am extremely competitive. Um, and are you, are you like competing uh, against yourself from what you did last year or are you competing against maybe people in your position at other networks? Or I mean, I think it's all the above. I I really do. Um, and that for me, the competition starts being prepared and it was just the same as, as if you were going to play a golf tournament, you're going to put in a certain amount of preparation and, at that point, you take your hands off the wheel and know that I've done the work and now I just let it come to me. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, one to really embrace surprises. I like to have have it all in front of me, have done my work. I have this picture in my head because I have a pretty much photographic memory of things in the yardage book, of where golf courses lay, all of that sort of stuff. And then you just talk about really what you, you what you saw and felt and new as a competitor. And I was, I was extremely fortunate that my first live golf producer in, in that aspect on the network was Tommy Roy yeah. at NBC. And he believes that there is a perfect show. So it was the perfect producer for me because I think you can, I think you can do a perfect job preparing for one and then just letting your instinct as a competitor, as, as a major champion, sort of flow with with what you're seeing he no he, he was he was very instrumental in and in where where i stand today and and how i prepare every day because he prepared the same way uh, it was a work hard play hard philosophy and i try to do the same thing today 15 years later do you recognize traits and current players that you're following on a week-to-week basis that that maybe just hit you and say wow that really reminds me of me not so much playing ability or how they hit a shot but looking someone in the eye seeing how they may have that tunnel vision where it's like yep i see that look i know what that's all about i i've been there i see that most most definitely and and it's also the the player to me that plays with just um maybe not the most gifted athlete but plays with a little chip on their shoulder and they're never going to give less than 110 percent. that's the player that i love following okay uh and i and yeah, it, re- it reminds you a little bit of your of yourself. Um, the, one of the the newest players that reminds me a little bit of that is Joaquin Neiman. Um, got to follow, yeah, I got to follow him a little bit uh, through his amateur career doing the Latin America tournament, and it, it's been nice because now there's a rapport, sure. and there's um there's also a familiarity, and I. You know, I get the chance to be out with that kid or walking or, you know, even in a tower as he's coming to our hole, as he was last year when he played so well at San Antonio. I was in the 16th tower all weekend long, and I felt like I could share things about him that I knew from just watching him and observing, like like you said, some of the things about the way I played. Of course, yeah. 
Yeah, we. I have a, a kind of a limited connection to him, but a, a fr- previous guest on the on the podcast, Ashley Burke. She played at USF, and she's mm-hmm. close with uh, Claudio Correo and Toto Ghana yep. and that whole yep. crew. So yeah, she was down there for that, and I think he had. He won the Latin America Championship and uh, the last time he was an amateur, obviously, then went and played the Masters. But I think he had just like a, I can't remember the score off the top of my head, but something like a 65-74 and, and something, he had a bad third round. And then just he had, she said he had this look in his face going into the next day where like, yeah, it was over. He was just going to go in and completely dominate. And then I think he shot like a 64 in the final round. That's exactly what he did. He held out for Eagle late in the in the second or the first nine and never looked back. But he didn't you know, I think there was a lot of pressure on him. Oh god. And yeah. he just sort of got through the first day and then it got a little more comfortable and Saturday was okay. Um, but when he when he got a sniff of the lead on Sunday, he was not going to take his nose off that line. Yeah. No. And it was yeah. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Um we've talked about how you you know, the the things you prepare. Are there are there aspects where um, like with production meetings, I'm very curious how a, a TV broadcast or a golf broadcast comes to be. Are there conscious discussions of, okay, here's who we're going to focus on. And then obviously if you have big names like Tiger or Phil somewhere relevant, you have to focus on them as well because obviously mm-hmm. they push the needle. How how detailed do those production meetings get about strategy and how to present the best package for uh, for the viewer? Um, there, NBC is very big about production meetings. ESPN was very big about production meetings. CBS is not really, uh, no, they do a a big one, uh, at the two major championships and there are multiple that week, uh, production. And and as soon as pairings come out, you you get a better idea of the flow and and the flow, not go, not only just the announcers, but for example, the director and how much, uh, how many resources does he have to throw it? You know, two and three camera coverage. If you've got that that group with a Tiger and a Ricky and a and and you know uh, Brooks Kepka and and Dustin Johnson and all that. So where where do bodies go? So they become more than just what we're talking about. But the general flow in a production trailer for us at CBS is what we're we're talking about who is playing well and things that they've observed and um, an interesting story that might have popped up if somebody read it on on social media about the, about the person or in the local paper, those are always good places to get stories. And then that sort of thing evolves. And now you're talking about resources. Like I said, where do you, where do you put cameras? That sort of thing evolves or devolves and gets a little more structured and predictable as a week goes on. Usually Uh, the Wednesday NBC meeting was all about how the golf course was prepared and, whose uh, assignments were going to be, who was going to be in a tower, who was going to be walking, that that sort of stuff. Who was going to take the early part if it was a four-hour cable show? Tommy never liked to put anybody out there the whole time except the lead analyst, so you'd have a split in the towers. and So it kept everybody fresh for the weekend. Nice. And, um, and that's sort of the, the plan that happens at the, especially at the PGA, where we have multiple towers and two 18th towers and all that sort of stuff. So there's everybody's figuring out bodies and, and where the hot spots will be. And yeah, there's, there's a, there's a lot of planning that goes on to it. And by the time you get to Sunday, it's we've been here before and you ought to be able to have a darn near perfect day. Do you find your, the adrenaline uh, kicks up? Uh, I, I guess it's really hard to compare to when you're playing actually inside the ropes, as opposed to walking along these final groups, but do you find that the nerves get to you a little bit at times when the, the, the moment gets a little bit more amplified? What are some of your fond memories about maybe moments um, where you're like, wow, this, this feels a little bit different than uh, maybe previous weeks? I have had, yes, there's, there's definitely an adrenaline. There's a, a heightened sense of kind of where you are and what you're watching. Right. And when a player really gets going, uh, it's, I, you know, when Tiger made birdie, I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest with you on the 18th hole last year at the PGA championship, he wasn't going to win, right. but the hair on the back of my neck stood up because I was watching somebody who had come from literally not being able to get off the couch right, right, and put a number on without his best stuff. I mean, he couldn't hit the broad side of the barn. Oh yeah. I think he would uh, hit the like first one nine holes. Yeah, it was like unbelievable. My inseam is 29 and a half inches long. 
I was hauling it trying to get to those. Right. <laughs> and in every different direction, it wasn't going just one way. So, I mean, do you ever just go to Tiger and say, dude, you're killing me here. I mean, I'm working. Uh, yes, here. I have. Yes, I have. I have definitely said that. And I've said it on the air. Like, my my legs are just too short to get to that one. But I, I know about what's going on. <laughs> you have. Uh, go ahead. Uh, no, you just. But there are moments. Yes. I mean, my first. My first U.S. Open, um, I walked Michael Campbell in. I was, and, and it was oh. he was in the group be- before Tiger. That's 05 uh, U.S. Valhalla. Open, I think. Yes, yeah. yes, at Pinehurst and uh, at Valhalla on, I believe it was Saturday. It was Saturday afternoon. Poulter made a putt at the 18th hole that made, I mean, his eyes reminded me of me when I got a yes. taste of that in, in, in the Solheim kind of thing. And so you get to experience that. And yes, you get an adrenaline rush. You absolutely do. Wow. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking back to Poulter. I'm thinking back to just yeah. him at, at him at Ryder Cups and then just, just Tiger. Uh, can you be a Tiger fan and still do your job objectively? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was another thing, Tommy, early on. Uh, you never say the word we or us when you're talking about a competition and you never root for a player ever. You can be, you can point out high stuff, but you need to be really balanced. And that's why, that's part of why I do not have, uh, there's a few guys that I have, I have their numbers or I have their teacher's numbers and teachers I will always go to, but I will never bug a player on the range and I won't ever get in their space because I, I think they have worked so hard to get in that position that it's my job to observe as a former player, not my job to get in the way. Well, and I, I could be completely wrong here, but I would think if you have to go up to a player on the range, that mm-hmm. perhaps shows that you haven't done your work leading up to that moment. And they clearly have. Right. Or, and as, well, sometimes, I mean, if I'll, I'll stick my nose in the bag to see if there's new wedges, or oh, ask sure. the caddy, but I'm not. Right, right. I am not going to get in a, in a player's grill. Now, a lot of times, if I'm in the gym working out, you'll have a casual conversation and pick up a nugget or two sure. that you might just jot away. Because I have two books that I travel with. They're all of my notes since I started at, at, at CBS. Every sticky note I've put in my, oh my yardage gosh. book for every show we've done. Any any panic moments that you've experienced? Where's my book? Where's my notebook? You know, uh, yes, but but I, honestly, I bring it home every every week after. Oh my god! I take all the notes out. I put them by tournament into the book, and then I I save all my yardage books. Right, right. So that um, I can trade them out. So this year, I will go through. I've used those yardage books if we went back and there were no golf course changes. I've used them now for three years. But what did we have three years ago? We had hazards. Now we have penalty areas. So my way of going back through all of these new rules is to redo my yardage book. So I go back and highlight bunker carries and slopes on greens and that sort of stuff um, and put in red and yellow penalty areas. So, yes, yardage book is is crucial, but I keep all of the notes that have been in there. Right. Uh, and I do go back. And say, oh, yeah, I remember writing that down. I think that was Byron Nelson two years ago. And sure enough, there it is. That's great. So you you transitioned. I mean, you started with NBC, then you're at ESPN mm-hmm. for a while. You had your stint on the board with the PGA of America. Yeah. Um, and then you go to CBS. And, and I would imagine during your process of getting that gig, you know that CBS covers the Masters. Uh, how quickly did that come into your mind? Like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be calling the Masters. Um, well, I, I, it was it was made clear that I'd be doing the masters, but I didn't know what I'd be doing. Right. I didn't know if I I would be working on you know some of the featured group coverage. I I, I didn't know, right. but I, so I knew that they had the PGA and they had the Masters, and it it became pretty clear pretty quickly that uh, that was going to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you're 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 heading over there. Uh, Obviously, on the FPG tour, you didn't have a chance to play in the Masters, but um, I have played. You have played the course. I have played Augusta National, right, absolutely. Right, of course. Well, I think the, the thing about the Masters is you you have to be right about when you're talking about things that have happened in the past. You know, each of us only have the outer tower announcers 
there are no walkers. Everybody's in a tower. Right. You only have you only have a couple of holes. The past few years, I've had four, and I've had thirteen. So you really throw yourself into knowing situations that have happened there in the past, so you can make that relatable and, and bring that back up. And what I always do, starting about three weeks before the Masters, I dive back into the book called The Making of the Masters called by David Owen. And it's an incredibly detailed look at the whole history of the tournament, of the of the property itself, of each of the holes as Mackenzie was going about as he calls the 13th, he said, I discovered it. I didn't create it. Um, so you start kind of fine tuning it and getting yourself in that mindset of what we're going to be doing a month from now. And um, everything is just, is just a little more ramped up. And I go in, <laughs> I just, I go in prepared. So by the time Thursday comes, it, it sort of comes to you rather than having to try to force it. Perfect. Yeah. Um, Tell me about your children's books. I know you're an author. We did not mention that early on in mm. the, in the episode, but you're an author of a series of children's books. Um, how how important is that? When did that start? Uh, when did that kind of come come to be? I would definitely want to hit on that because I think I've done limited little bit of research on yeah. that. I, I see the 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 plots of these books. I think they're great. So I just mm -hmm. want to give make sure we mention that. It's it started the project started back in 2011. Um, I do X number of charity days a year just give back days and of one of them was was to the first tee in the virginia beach area and a Furman alum was on the board there and he said i i, I know these two guys here in town and they're trying to do something different with golf and maybe you want to chit chat about it so the the thing was that it wasn't the usual golf outing um going forward with this project it was trying to make golf cool for kids and address some of the things that they addressed or we addressed as as children uh, now with the platform to be able to write. And the first one was just being yourself. And bogey was a pretty much beat up golf ball. Didn't always fly straight and shanked and topped and hooked and, and whatever else and uh, tried to change himself. So he would be perfect and it didn't work out too well. Uh -huh. And the second one is, you know, the hot topic in schools today is bullying. And my, my co-writer's son was bullied so badly that his bully was expelled from their school. And I was also that, I was also that kid that had a target on her back uh, as a kid. And I thought, you know what, this is the time to address it. And we were fortunate to really make it kind of personal. And I went to quite a few schools and there've been presentations that I'd put together and, uh, it continues to uh, walking a friend's dog down the street a couple, couple months ago. Guy's out there with his son waiting for the school bus. And he said, aren't you Dottie Pepper? And I said, yes, I am. He said, my son read your book and it really mattered to him. Oh, wow. So that's all he because he, he was having. Yeah, because he was having the same sort of thing. And he and he kind of stood up a little straighter and he knew he could deal with it. So pretty. Is it is it um, award winning writing? No. Does it let kids know that that golf is cool? Absolutely, that it's a safe space for them and have a have a have an activity and maybe even, my God, um, a lifestyle or a or a career that could be around golf. Yeah, it lets them know that, but it also teaches them the really good things about the game that we all, you know, we all love it. Sure, uh, this could be a completely uh, random um, connection, but I'm just curious. Do you think? And you can talk me off this if this is in a, going in a different direction. But mm -hmm. do you think that your experience being bullied as a child playing golf, as maybe um, I think you know, just playing golf, led into your tenacity on the golf course and shaped how you competed? Like sh I'm going to show you that I'm good enough. Yeah, I, I think there was there was certainly some of that. I, know, I always had that little, I guess, inferiority complex because I, I grew up from a, a not not a wealthy family at all. Okay. Uh, upstate New York. My my dad, when he finished playing baseball, he was a turkey farmer, and then sold insurance, and uh, you know ended up back in the food business. So I mean, we were not a wealthy family at all. And and you know, you think about kids that went to school in the '60s, '70s. Uh, 
even into the 80s, golf was not cool. Right. <laughs> it was the golf geeks. Right. I mean, we were a bunch of yeah, pretty geeky kids, and but we had a blast doing it, and we won a few cha- conference championships, and all of a sudden, for that one weekend of the of the school year, when everybody's up there getting their awards, our golf team was good. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I think you do play with a little bit of a, a chip on your shoulder. I mean, look, I had a college coach. They'd won the national championship. I came out with pretty good, pretty good credentials coming out of junior golf and looked right at me and said, you're, you're never going to be good enough to play at Tulsa. Oh, wow. So well, I'll show you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know? So it was that sort of thing that, that would stick in kind of stick in the back of my head. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, it's crazy. It's crazy how things turn out too, because you're not the only firm and golf alum that's in the TV business right now after an amazing playing career. I mean, you got Brad Faxon who's sure working over at Fox. I don't think yep. I ever saw that coming, but uh, well, he he worked with us at NBC for a couple of course, years. Of course, yeah, yeah. He was before Jacobson went into the into the 16th hour. We had Brad, and Brad Brad was great because he knew everybody, he knew what they were working on. I mean, because he was a range rat right. and he was a tinkerer, and he still is. So he, he was, I thought he was, he was great to work with. Yeah. Uh, well, we have a dumb segment at the, at the end of every episode called the quick bucket at the back of the range, where we try and ask really silly questions and see if we can get sure. some interesting takes. So just to completely go off brand, um, what would you rather see? Would you rather see Roy McAvoy actually win the U S open at the end of 10 cup, or would you rather just completely eradicate the existence of Caddyshack too? Caddyshack two needs to go away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, I think one of my favorite golf movies is Dead Solid Perfect, based on the Dan Jenkins novel. Oh, very good. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. I, I also. When have you ever seen a sequel that was? I know you can't find a sequel anything that's that's really good. I I fear for Top Gun two coming out. I really do because that was my favorite adrenaline junkie movie really okay now yeah. we're talking movies we yeah. totally forgot to talk football i mean we're recording this right before, <laughs> we're recording this right before the super bowl you know what else is coming we are. out do you know that coming coming uh to america 2 is coming out the eddie murphy movie really yes yes that wow is did a, not know that that is a thing that we're we're breaking news here but yeah that is the thing that is coming out but no you're absolutely right top gun 2 um i i, I mean I, I understand the gist of it and it's got potential but they all have potential no, of course. And not not many have come through. I think Young Guns 2 was pretty good, but we're we're getting into a movie podcast now. We need to, we need, we need to uh, let's see. Um, let's see. I've asked other guests if you had to play a golf tournament without tees or without wedges, what would you pick? So. Oh, uh, wow. Without tees. That is a pretty popular one. Um, yeah, without tees. So let me see here. Um, hmm. <laughs> well, you can wave off this one. Would you rather get a free, this doesn't even apply because you're there all the time, but I've asked people, would you rather get a free week badge to the Masters for you and three of your friends for five consecutive years, or would you rather play one round at Augusta National with uh, with three ex-boyfriends? Well, we don't we don't get tickets, so I guess I'm taking the first one anyway. I mean, it, 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 this is this is the worst question to ask someone that actually gets to work and has played there. This doesn't even matter. That's that's oh, very funny. Oh my gosh. Uh, let's see. Oh, see, these questions are not for people that have actually done all this stuff. Uh, would you? This is terrible. It's like one of them is like, would you rather win the PGA Championship or play on two losing Ryder Cup teams? So I know you don't want any part of a losing Solheim Cup team because uh, you've, no, you've already I been on because you did you've done that. You've already that. won two majors, so that one doesn't count. All right, let's talk football. <laughs> let's let's abandon this. Okay. So football, we are recording this on the Friday before the Super Bowl, so people are going to hear this episode. After the Super Bowl is already done, this is your oh, chance. Gosh. I know. So now, um, do you have a favorite team? Do you have any thoughts on the Super Bowl? Have you been and to a, people? You, oh my God! Have you been, Somebody, to, have yes. you been to Super Bowl? Have you been to Super Bowl? I have not been to a Super Bowl, and I don't want to go to a Super Bowl. Really? Okay. Tell, no. me, tell me why. Because it's like to me, it's like the, going to a Masters party, or going to the Masters is different because it's such an unbelievable. There comes that word patron. Yes. The patrons there. Say patron. Um, Don't mess that up. They they have such a reverence for the game and the place that it's probably the best place to watch tournament golf. Okay, interesting. Because but okay, the Super Bowl. 
the security, the all of it. You can have it. I want to sit down, and I'm very. I'm tell you that I'm very spoiled because I've been a Patriots fan my entire life. Oh dear God! So this is nine, nine. What are you? Um, I I sit and I pace and I sit some more and I cook. <laughs> okay, so you don't. And the red parties. wine starts to flow. No, I don't go to Super Bowl parties right. either. And you don't have people over. Or you have like a select few that can just handle your craziness, is what you're saying. Right? One or two, one or two people. That is it. Right. Now, no, this is very, this is very serious. Very, very serious. Now you've you've worked. I, I I'm assuming you've worked the Pebble Beach Pro Am. Uh, there have I have. I've, I'll tell you what. I've also worked. I've worked as a utility. On Monday Night Football. Oh my gosh! Really? At at Gillette Stadium. Yes, I have. Okay. Yes, hauling cable and carrying lights. That's outstanding. That's outstanding. <laughs> I have I have no pride. That's that's awesome. But but working working Pebble Beach. Pebble. Uh, yeah, yes. So, so Brady has shown up and Belichick has shown up to play. Um, yes. Have you have you uh, you know professed your your undying Patriots love to to the man himself and and Mr. Belichick? How'd you like to try uh, and interview Belichick? To, to to Brady, no, I was never assigned to his group. Belichick, I got two years ago, and he wouldn't talk. He blew me off. You're kidding? <laughs> no. That would be is that is, is that the like the the zenith the mecca of whether uh, or not you're good at at the on course reporter if you can get Belichick uh, to talk. Uh, then you... I, I I guess. <laughs> I mean, I waited. I missed shots. I, everything. Let's see. Muscle in there. Get him on the tenth hole. So I did walking after after uh, tee shots at ten. Got nothing. Nothing. No, I said Dottie Pepper, CBS Sports. Could could we chat? Just one or two quick questions. No, I'm I'm good. Uh. Okay. <laughs> that was after that was after they came back <laughs> to beat to beat the Falcons. To beat the Falcons. All you gotta do is like yeah. give you just a no. fluff. Like oh, it was a nothing. great year. Nothing. And, and you just got to stand there and be like, all right, back to you, Jim. And, uh, well, no, and it, it actually wasn't, I, I thought I'm just going to wait, see if I can get him uh-huh. and look, Hey, we've, we've all been there, but I was like, Hmm, that was awkward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. what, what sporting event do you desperately want to, to, to work? If it's not golf, is there one event that you've seen that just covered, uh, just to, to challenge mm. yourself, what's one that you would just love to give a shot at? Uh, World Cup downhill racing. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we, I have this this bucket list for me. Oh, is let's, going, let's is, empty the bucket. What's in the bucket? It would I would be to go to the Hanenkam and be over in Europe for the best of the World Cup racing. Uh, I I love skiing. I know you ski. Yeah. I love the winter. I. Would, and actually, I I volunteered to be a runner of all things, runner, <laughs> entry level runner, for the Olympics that were in Vancouver, and I didn't get through the NBC process. I was going to pay my own way, do everything myself, and I didn't make the cut. That is incredible, and you're a woman. How about that, that, and you're a woman that's only missed three cuts in her career. I think. Right. <laughs> Well, now we're at four. Um, now we're at four. That's crazy. That was, was kind of high profile. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. So Yeah, I didn't make the cut. Well, you know what's interesting is that I am. I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but I'm very new in this sports golf, uh, you know, gosh, I can't even believe I'm going to say golf media journalist. I just feel like you're like, really? Um, but but you're <laughs> you're at this level where you're still reaching for, for new challenges and mm-hmm. willing to completely – um, you know, shelve any of the pride and, Hey, don't you know who I am? I mean, I think that's a great lesson no. to anyone trying to achieve something in their career. I mean, is that just something that you're kind of embedded with and you just want to reach the challenges and you don't, you don't care what it looks like? Yeah, I, I try and I don't always succeed doing this, but to one thing every day that scares the, you know, what idea Okay. to push, push yourself into a direction that's not comfortable. Cause I don't believe anybody ever gets better being comfortable all the time. Right. Um, I would be very uncomfortable, but I would have done my homework. So that, that makes it better. But, I, but yeah, I, I think, I, I think people get, they're afraid to make mistakes, afraid to branch out. And if you can try to do something every day, whether it's, I got people coming over for dinner and I got this recipe that I've never tried, but it sounds like it could be great. So let's do it. Yeah. Somebody and then you got the, yeah. 
yeah, you got the number of dominoes in your back pocket, but <laughs> I mean, awesome. everybody needs a safety net every of once course, in a while. Of course, but... <laughs> hey, there's Uber Eats. Hook that up. Be, exactly. Hey, of course. Um, but yeah, I try to do something every day that is different and pushes me somewhere where I'm not just on the dead things that I know I can do well. That's great. Uh, what would Dottie Pepper say to her 21-year-old self right now? <gasps> I know. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, would, I would say to maybe enjoy it just a little bit more. Okay. And not be such in a big hurry to get to a destination, but enjoy the other stuff that goes along with it. So, like, enjoy the process. Yeah, kind of, yeah, enjoy, enjoy the, I loved to grind, but enjoy the grind a little bit more. Got it. And know that, and I think this was something Tiger uh, said last week, that he was always of the mindset that if he was going to get better, he needed to work harder. And if things weren't going well, you work harder. And then when your body says you can't do that, you figure out that sometimes it's just rest that will make you get better. Right. So, I think I would probably take that advice of my own Yeah. Uh, at, at this point too. You, you spent a lot of, you just hit a one other thing. I, I'm sorry, but I have to ask, but you know, you, you've, you mentioned tiger, you've been around him a lot. You have that you know, good relationship with him at events. You've seen the trajectory of his career from mm. to being two, three years old to winning the six USGA amateurs in a row, junior than the, the regular uh, mm-hmm. USAM and seeing his career and the up and downs. I mean, all the great things, but would you have ever wanted that life and everything that came with it? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I think, and, and as, as social media has, a, has yeah. evolved or devolved, no matter how, what your take is on it, it's even, even more of a fishbowl. I think people need to have so much respect for people who have made that choice. Now, granted, you're making a lot of money and you get to do a lot of cool things and hang with people and this, that, and the other, right. but respect them as, as individuals and not go over and interrupt the table. I mean, I am so lucky. I mean, I, I I'm living in my hometown and I love the fact that I can go completely under the radar, put a baseball cap on and I can go anywhere and do anything. And I'll bet people of that variety wish they had just a little of that. Well, I remember, uh, I don't remember when this was, but I remember something, I think that Justin Thomas either posted or was in an article and he just, he went to Tiger and says, Hey, you know, cause they both live in, they're all in, in Jupiter, in, in Jupiter. Yeah. and he's like, Hey, you know, do you want to grab dinner sometime? And Tiger just looked at him like he had three heads. He's like, I, yeah, I, I can't, I can't like, do that. I can't. What are you kidding me? So, no. yeah. Do you want to make me dinner? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's, I'm all over it. Can, can you, wow, that's got to be actually kind of nerve-wracking, trying to make Tiger yeah. with dinner. Um, oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's first tea jitters. Uh, Dottie, you've given us just a truckload of great information, and um, we will see if your Super Bowl predictions uh, hold true because uh, we're going to know we're going to know pretty soon. So I know you're rooting for the Patriots. So deep breaths, and uh, you know, don't uh, just just calm down while you're watching it. But again, thank you very much for joining us here at the Back of the Range. I hope we can do it again sometime soon. Enjoyed it very much. And there you have it. Another great episode here at the Back of the Range. Clearly, Dottie got her way. The Patriots are the Super Bowl champions. Don't hold that against her. These things happen, okay? Everyone's got their teams. Anyway, really appreciate Dottie joining us this week. Don't forget, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let me know what you think of this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and on Instagram at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. Greatly appreciate everyone listening. We'll see you again next week for episode 64 here at the back of the range.